Uh, good morning. Great to see you guys again. Uh, I'm Tim Rogers. For those who I haven't met yet, if you're visiting this morning, we're so glad to have you as a guest with us. Uh, we hope that as every time that we come here at Grace Point Church, that our hearts and our minds are lifted beyond just what's going on for us, and we see God again and we're connected to Him. We really hope that that happens for you. Um, that's my prayer and my hope for us, that we see God and we're encouraged and renewed by time and His Word that we're going to spend now uh, for the next five hours together. Looking forward to, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're looking forward to this time together uh, in the Word of God. Uh, we are in the second part of a five-part series that we're calling Killing Chicken Little. You can discuss whether you like that title or not, but the reason behind that, if you know the story, the children's story of Chicken Little is the acorn falls on the head of the chicken, the chicken freaks out and thinks that the end of the world is coming and runs and gets all of her uh, you know, uh, foul friends, and they go find the fox, but they're on the way to the king, and the fox finally says, do you actually know where the king is? And they say, no, we don't. And he says, uh, let me show you, and takes him into his den, never to be heard from again, and sure enough, the end of the world was upon them. Self-fulfilling prophecy of worry and anxiety. And what we want to do is kill that voice inside of us of worry and anxiety that actually creates the future that we're trying to avoid. That's why we say killing. I was going to say silencing Chicken Little, but that didn't seem strong enough. I was going to say, you know, cutting the wing, but that didn't seem strong enough either. We actually want to kind of kill that voice. It is a big, ambitious goal to say that, to kill that voice within us. This is, this is maybe not possible, but whatever. We're going to talk about that. Now, here, let me take that further. Here's why this is actually important, okay? Worry is such a big deal that Jesus says this when he told the parable of the, the seed falling on the soil. He said that there's four types of soil that the seed or the word of God falls into. And, and one of them is, is just the pavement, basically, that doesn't really sink in. Another is rocky ground, and, and that doesn't really grow in rocky ground. Another, a third kind of soil are the thorns. And the thorns, the seed is planted, and it grows in the thorns, and it grows up. And it looks like it's on its way to getting some traction in the lives of the people who say that they're followers of Jesus. And it looks like it's starting. But then the thorns choke out the life. And the seed never matures. And Jesus likens the thorns to the worries and anxieties of this life. He uses the exact same word that we're focusing on for these five weeks. And here's why it's important to me. Because I want people here at GPC, and I want to grow in my faith, and I want for you to grow, if you're a follower of Jesus, to grow in depth in your faith. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to come to know him. That's my cards on the table, all right? That's, that's what I hope for you. And so, as a people, if this is your desire to grow Every time that we face worry and anxiety, it competes for the faith that we want. And I said last week, faith and worry are fierce competitors for the heart. They are fierce competitors for your soul. And so for five weeks, we want to talk about this, not because we want a cute title, although it's kind of interesting. I want you to remember it. What we really want to get after is, are there ways in the seasons and the moments of life that you go through when worry and anxiety hits you that you can actually turn those moments into moments where you not only deal with worry, but all of a sudden turn them to spiritual growth. 
and have that seed planted in good soil, the fourth soil that Jesus talks about. So I want to kind of do some weeding of the thorns that, that want to suck out maturity in all of us, all right? Now, if you ever dealt with uh, worry before, I'd, I'd Love the way that this guy describes it because he, I think, does a, a perfect job of just summarizing what worry feels like. He says this about worry and anxiety. Anxiety is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. A beautiful way to put it from Arthur Roche here. A great image of what happens to the life or the heart that is full of worry. The thin stream is cut, and then if left unattended or undealt with, it gets big, and you know how that works. All of a sudden, everything is colored with this, and all of a sudden, we cannot mature. Liz Riggs, in 2013, December 2013, wrote an article for Christianity Today. She wrote an article called, A Prayer for the Anxiety-Ridden Christian. She deals with anxiety at a significant level. And here's what she said. I'm just going to read part of her article. She said, I've struggled with anxiety for as long as I can remember, although it wasn't diagnosed until high school. As a kid, I would pace the halls, peering out the window while I waited for my mom to return home. Until I saw her car headlights, my brain swirled with dark, brooding thoughts that maybe she'd been in an accident or kidnapped. I would utter repetitive prayers up to God until I saw the lights. These prayers were the only way to deal with the spiraling thoughts in my head. While they felt redundant and ritualistic, they were better than plaguing myself with more worry. Later, I realized these moments held one of my truest insights into coping with anxiety. Prayer. When severe, ongoing anxiety interferes with day-to-day life beyond the typical worrying and anxiety that we all experience, it may be due, she writes, to a condition called generalized anxiety disorder. Generalized anxiety, like mine, is often associated with constant worrying and obsession, although sometimes it occurs for no apparent reason. She writes, it affects women twice as often as it does men. The worrying can range from frustrating, redundant thoughts to completely paralyzing panic and fear. I fall somewhere in the middle of that spectrum, but sometimes it feels much closer to the paralyzing fear. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever dealt with it to that degree, but I believe you have, and I'm okay with that. I believe we have as a people, that we as a people have dealt with that, and that we have people around us who have dealt with it to that degree. And I also believe that we have all dealt with anxiety to some degree or another, that it hits all of us. In fact, if it doesn't hit you, I don't think you're human. I don't know if you can walk through this life and not have anxiety or worry. And so the question becomes, what do I do and how do I handle it when we deal with this? Now, last week we opened up the conversation about worry and anxiety. and We began talking about worry and defined it this way. Really simple definition. We said that worry is essentially undue concern. Now that seems really simple, but that is just so you know, that Greek word for worry is what I'm, I'm focused on. That is the description or the definition of that word. Now, the question behind that is, how do I know when concern goes from do to undo? I gave you the example last week. If the smoke alarm or fire alarm goes off in this building right now, you would be right to feel some concern. In fact, you would be really odd if you continued sitting there like nothing is happening. Smoke is filling the place. You should have some anxiety because that is good anxiety that moves you to action. All right, that's good anxiety that moves you to action. 
undue concern is once the fire alarm goes off, you're never willing to enter a building again in your life out of fear that the smoke alarm might go off. There's due and there's undue. Now, determining when something moves from due to undue, in truth, is a part of the work of the Spirit in our lives. Is a part of the work of the Spirit saying, okay, what is going on here? God, am I dealing with something that has moved from due concern to undue? Am I giving this more attention than it needs? Am I retelling this more than I need to? Am I ruminating too much? Is it taking away my health? Is it taking away my relationships? Taking away my joy? Am I dealing with this in an undue way? Is the weight of my worry not commensurate with the weight of the issue? Okay, am, am I unduly concerned about this. Now, last week I also said this, that we have to be honest about this, that worry's foundation is not just spiritual. And here, this is really, really important for me to communicate to you, that some of you maybe come to church, and in church we can make you feel guilty in a hurry that you're not doing enough for God. Now, I just want to be clear with that, that worry is not just a spiritual issue. It is in part, but not whole. Okay. Worry's foundation, as we talked last week, can be environmental, right? Like if the fire alarm goes off in the building, we all experience immediate worry and anxiety, which is right and good. That's an environmental deal. That's not a bad thing. Worry can also be a biological or medical problem. We've got to put that out there. That assuming that because I worry, my only solution needs to be I need to be a better Christian or pray more as a simple solution is too simplistic and not complete. There are medical, biological components and foundations to worry and anxiety that we have to address. There's also character issues that just by default some of us have chosen over the years to step into worry and anxiety without really thinking about it. And then there's also the spiritual component of our connection with God and our willingness to pray and our our trust and dependence on Him. In the church and in these five weeks together, I'm talking about the spiritual foundations of worry. But it's not the whole picture of worry and anxiety. But this is what we can talk about. This is what we can do as a church. We can deal with some of the spiritual, foundational roots of worry that might move into some character stuff, but doesn't deal with all the foundations of worry. Okay, I just want you to know that. So, so look, look here at me for a minute. If you're, if you're dealing with worry and anxiety at a significant level and think that all I need to do is pray more and read my Bible more and be a better Christian... It's possible that there might be more to it than that for you. Not that you shouldn't pray or read the Bible or be in community with other believers, but there might be more. And listen to me, that's okay that there's more. In fact, in my opinion, the smartest people in the room are the people who recognize that there might be more. Like, I might need some additional help with this. You're not a weak person in the room. You're a smart person in the room. The wisest people receive additional help. The people who want to keep, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get this, I'm going to do this, usually end up crash landing somewhere along the line. And so let me just, again, publicly try to remove, if you have any stigmatism around getting additional help, please, Let's move on from that, and let's get additional help and continue to pursue our God in faith, okay? 
Fair enough. Can we, we can do that. We can do that. Look at that. We're all grown adults here, mostly. All right, we can, we can handle that. But that's a big deal for some of us. It is all a part of the equation of worry, okay? So we want to speak to that piece there as well, all right? So if you have your Bible, I want to take you to our passage. If you're not there already, you're welcome to turn to um, the book of Philippians, a small little letter in what we call the New Testament and by the way, if you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew around you. Uh, that is our gift to you. If you don't have one, we'd encourage you to take that with you today and, and read the Bible. We think that's a, a really good idea. We think that God's Word is true and valid and authoritative uh, for your life. Uh, in this passage here this morning, in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, um, and by the way, you can find that in the table of contents, if you don't know where that is, in the, the right third of your Bible. Uh, no problem looking at the table of contents here at all. Um, Philippians chapter 4, we're going to just land it in verse 6. Um, this section, believe it or not, in 2014, Amazon released um, data as to which verses in their Kindle version of their Bible were most highlighted by their readers. Okay? Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 took top prize. The most highlighted verses in the 2014 release from Amazon was that people reading their Bibles went to this and underlined this verse and the following one more than any other verse in the entire Bible. Very interesting insight. Do you think we're people who want an answer to worry? Right? Do you think we think about anxiety and the struggles? At least Amazon's data will say, absolutely, this is the top highlighted verse in the Bible Kindle version, right? Verses 6 and 7. And as I read this verse, because we're only going to hang out on verse 6, I just want to tell you what I want for you this morning. Okay, let me just be, be clear what I want by the time we come to the end. What I, what I want for you this morning is something very specific. What I want is to introduce to you, if you don't already have this, if you do, I want to reinforce it, but I want to introduce to you a, a, a simple idea, concept, habit, and truth practice, default behavior that you can insert into your worry cycle at the very beginning. Talk last week about worry being a process that's looking for content. It's kind of always running in the background. What do I worry about next? Right? Let me worry about the election, worry about my kids, worry about my marriage, worry about my future, my money, my job. What am I going to worry about next? In the process of anxiety and worry, I want to introduce to you a habit to throw into that process that I believe if that habit is exercised and turns into a character thing, it becomes a place every time you begin to worry where you bump into that and you and I have a chance to grow. And verse 6 introduces that habit to drop into the worry cycle and the worry rhythm of your life. It's a big deal, simple deal, big deal. We're just going to be in verse 6. We're going to look phrase by phrase at what Paul writes here in verse 6 of Philippians 4. Reading from the NIV, the verse says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Simple verse, big verse, let's jump right into it. His first phrase, do not be anxious about anything. Now, I introduced last week's message with the idea that there are some things in the Bible that God asks us to do that are impossible to do. One of those is fear not. Another one is be perfect, like your Heavenly Father is perfect. Another one of those is this. Don't be anxious about anything. 
Who can do that, right? And I even argued last week that maybe, maybe Jesus felt some anxiety going to the cross. I mean, when a grown man is sweating tears laced with blood with a desire not to do something, a.k.a. go to the cross, I don't know what I'd call that exactly, but I'd call that something in the realm of anxiety. At the same time, let me be clear, Jesus never sinned. So let me not muddy the waters on that. I don't believe that at all. I don't know what I call that in Jesus, but I call that something. He's worked up in some way. And that's a kissing cousin to some kind of anxiety. I don't know how you can think about going to the cross, knowing the torture that will come, and just be calm and at peace. I, I don't know what I call that, but here's the command. Don't be anxious about anything. You ever ask yourself, why do we have these impossible commands Is this so that God can be pictured as a father who is a a task-driven, perfectionistic father who you have to please and you know you never will? So please keep showing up at church and please keep being obedient to the best that you can and maybe someday you'll please this heavy taskmaster. Is that why we have impossible commands? I mean, can you imagine your parent giving you something to do that actually is impossible and expecting you to do it? Would that even be loving? Why is this here, and how does it make us feel and react in relationship to God? And here's, here's my thought. Now, this is just my thought. You can have your own, but here's what I think. Number one, I ask the question, what's the alternative? Imagine if Paul would have written, again, I believe that the scriptures that we're reading right now are inspired by God, okay, moved by the Holy Spirit, are not just Paul's ideas, but actually are inspired by God. So imagine if Paul is writing, and he writes the alternative, which would be this, instead of making it, do not be anxious about anything, he writes, don't be anxious about most things. What? Like, how helpful is that? Well, don't be anxious about most things, so it's okay if I'm anxious about some things. Like, the alternative to this is to mitigate it, to kind of water it down and say, it's all right to be anxious about it a little bit. Here's what I think. I think these commands that are, that are impossible are actually a gift to us. And I think what they do is they preview what heaven will be like. That They preview an ideal that God has for his people to reach for, knowing that it can't be done on your own, to invite us into a relationship with him that otherwise we wouldn't want. I think God gives us a preview. This is what heaven can be like, okay? Like, this is what following God can be like. This is what, in relationship with God, your life can be like, a life free of anxiety in growing trust in him in a place and a time where this anxiety will be gone. So in light of what will come, don't be anxious about anything now. Grow in trust to me. And as we bump into the things that make us anxious, it is a gift that he says, don't be anxious about anything. And we stop and ask why, and then we're drawn right back to him and the ideal future of heaven in which he has created us for. That's what I think. Don't be anxious about anything. In other words, let me draw you to a hope. This does exist. (laughs) I haven't experienced it yet, but this will exist. Don't be anxious about anything. And then he says, but in everything. So in all your anythings, don't be anxious. And in all your everythings, do something else. But in everything, then he says, do not be anxious, but in everything. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, anxiety comes. 
You run into it. You're worried about whatever. You name it. Some of us, I know right now, are dealing with deeper anxieties than others. For some of us, anxieties might be as simple as, man, I don't know what I'm going to be doing this week. I don't know if we're going to make ends meet. Others are dealing with uh, career changes. Others are dealing with deep uh, health issues. Okay? Others are dealing with ongoing family struggles. Some of you are dealing with deep identity issues. So some of us have more surface level things. Others are deeper and others are just like, man, I don't even know what day it is today. And I think maybe I have a worry, but I'm not even tracking. Right? We, we all have things at different levels. When worry comes and we bump into it, here's what we do. We always do something right away. I always have a, an initial gut level reaction to it. About a week and a half ago, I was uh, mowing the lawn, uh, which is always a fun adventure for our family. Uh, a couple of years ago, I uh, weed whacked over a yellow jacket's nest, which I think I told you about, which was a lot of fun. Um, that didn't happen this time, but I'm mowing the lawn, and I'm, I'm still uh, I'm coming out of, for, for those who don't know, I was on a 10-week sabbatical this summer, so I'm coming off of that. So I'm coming off sabbatical and coming into the week. I'm mowing the lawn. i got time to think as I'm mowing and what starts to happen? I start to get anxious about last Sunday. Like, I'm getting anxious about a series on anxiety. That's the truth. Like, I'm, I'm getting worried. Like, what will this feel like to be here again? Like, what, what has happened while I've been gone? And, and will I even remember how to talk to people in large groups at one time? Like, what will be the result. Like, is this going to bomb? I mean, I don't even know if this is the right thing to talk about, and God, is this really where you're leading? I mean, all of a sudden, like, I start, you know, going, and immediately, when the point of anxiety comes, something immediately starts happening in me. There's an immediate first reaction to that. As I mow, I begin to retell the story, and I begin to ruminate, to think about, to retell, to recast, and think about all the reasons why this is a bad idea, and think about the things that aren't going to go well, and think about and worry about, and immediately that process looking for content kicks in. And right in the beginning of that cycle is where Paul introduces this. Don't be anxious about anything, but, 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 in everything, and here's the introduction, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. What he's saying, really simply, is at the beginning of that worry cycle, when that hits, before you start telling yourself all the reasons why you're a terrible human being and things won't go well, before you start telling yourself all the things that might go badly with your health report, before you start worrying about what will happen if you don't get enough or if you do, before you start getting far down that line, but you feel that worry come, introduce in the beginning of that process, even, even, just a brief, even, I might argue, just a one-minute habit of prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. And each are important. By prayer, he means that general word for prayer that you and I think of when we talk about prayer. But the most interesting, the next word is very interesting too, petition. That word petition actually means a yearning for and a longing for something. It's more than just a general word for prayer. The story is told in the Gospel of Luke in the first chapter of a priest named Zechariah, yeah, named Zechariah who was married to Elizabeth. If you've been in church for a long time, you might know the story, but Zechariah and Elizabeth were unable to have children. 
They prayed for years. He prayed for years and years and years that they could have children. They were unable to until one time when it was Zechariah's turn to offer sacrifices in the temple. An angel visits him and says, Zechariah, guess what? Your petition, that's the word, your petition, your yearning of your soul, not just prayer word, your petition word, your petition has been answered. You and Elizabeth are going to have a kid. And if you know that story, Zechariah's like, I don't believe you. He's like, how can that be? We're too old. And then the angel Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. Sent from God to tell you you're going to have a kid. You're going to have a kid. Because you didn't believe me, you won't talk for a little bit. And little John is born later on. The petition is that word. Like, God, I long for this. I long for this so much. I'm going to pray for year upon year for this. Like, you're not going to even answer this this day, this week, this season, but I yearn deeply and I want this. And so I'm going to petition you for it. I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to petition. And what a gift the next word is prayer and petition with thanksgiving. And so I'm mowing the lawn, you know, back and forth mowing the lawn a week and a half ago, and I'm thinking, I'm worried, I'm anxious. I shouldn't be because it shouldn't be good for the pastor to be anxious about anxiety, helping people not to be anxious, dealing with all that, right? And I'm praying, and I'm thinking, God, what does it mean to take this to you with thanksgiving? And all of a sudden, I'm just going to tell you, like, in my heart, I'm like, what, what do I have to be thankful for right now? I'm like, I'm going to just go really simple on you. Like, I'm going to go elementary on you. Like, I'm just thankful, God, for life. Mowing the lawn, mowing the lawn. You know, I'm just thankful that I can breathe. You know, mowing the lawn, mowing the lawn. And I'm just saying, as simple as that. The thanksgiving phrase is a gift because it keeps me and you from being narcissistic and turning life inside out on us. It keeps us from continuing to, to drive hard into my soul and all the things that I worry about. And it gives me something to pull out of and to look to God. What do I have to be thankful for? And I'm worried about the series, you know. Man, God, I'm grateful that I even can teach a series. Thank you for giving me life. Thank you for my family mowing the lawn, mowing the lawn, you know. And thank you. And all of a sudden, there's this moment of like, I was worried, but God, I think you're near. Like, I think you're, you're here in the middle of my process, looking for content, like mowing the lawn, mowing the lawn. God, I'm thankful. For you. And this is what Paul says. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with a yearning of your soul, with thanksgiving, then he says, present your requests to God. Strong, very insightful ending to this sentence. If you have an ESV, English Standard Version, the translation will read differently. And it's important how that reads compared to what an NIV reads. I don't know what you're reading there in front of you, but... That will read, let your request be made known to God. The reason that's important is this. The, the language and the verb for present in the Greek is what we call a present passive imperative. Isn't that awesome? Aren't you glad you came to church to know that? Here's what that means. It belies or it, it suggests that the attitude, because it's passive, It suggests this. Instead of taking your request to God as if I have a right to take this, I'm worried about this. It suggests in the very tone of the prayer 
that there's a humility of soul. Let your request passively, if you will, be made known to God. The very way that Paul introduces it is put them before him with great humility, with recognition that we are less and he is greater. Present your request. Let them be made known. It's almost like, God, I'm going to put them here. And at your convenience, when you're ready, go ahead and look at them. Because I know that you are greater than me. Rather than, I'm going to get on in there and, God, tell me what's up. (laughs) Here's the humility of soul that Paul speaks to. Let your request be made known. And the last two words we read over in a hurry, because we read them all the time in the Bible. To God, let your requests be made known or present your requests to God. In the middle of anxiety, in the middle of anxiety, in the middle of worry, it is way too easy to make the worry bigger than God. It's way too easy to forget that God has actually created the entire system in which we function and operate. It is way too easy to forget that God is all-powerful. He's actually all-knowing. He's all-present. He also actually describes himself as love. He's holy. And so I have to ask the question, God, I'm really worried. I'm really anxious about, about this. I mean, let me just go really simple, right? Like, I'm anxious about teaching this series on anxiety. Right? That's really, that's an easy one to talk about. Like, do you think the God who created the universe can handle this? Or is he even like, dude, you have, wow, I have no way to handle your anxiety on teaching anxiety. You've got to be kidding me. Like, let me push that further. Like, God, when I'm dealing with identity issues about who I am in light of people around me and worried about what my future will look like, God, I'm going to give that to you. Do you think the God of the universe who created you and knit you together in your mother's womb is like, I have no idea how to handle this one. Like, you have blown me away. And this is the gift of prayer to God. To remember. To bring our anxiety with request specifically talking to the sovereign, omnipotent, creator of the universe, who says, present them. Bring them to me. Trust me. Present your requests to God. Liz Riggs, who wrote the article that I read at the beginning, continued to write her article. And she finished, I think, in a very profound way. And I want to read a part of what she said as she finished her article. She said, All anxiety is rooted in fear, whether we're afraid of losing control or dying or failing or being rejected. Fear turns into true anxiety once it takes power over us and our lives. Those of us who struggle with anxiety disorders understand this feeling too well, Frustrated by anxiety's weight and control. When anxiety results from an actual chemical imbalance, a physical condition that manifests itself through mental stress, there are aspects of our mental state that we cannot control on our own. She writes, I cannot help that my brain cannot balance its serotonin. 
the chemical in the brain that helps regulate mood, among other functions. I cannot control the way my body produces adrenaline when in a state of panic. But I can control whether I reach for a glass of wine in response to my speeding heart or whether I turn to God for peace. I can control how I pray or who I pray with and my own thoughts, though certainly not with my own power. And then she writes, the oft-referenced Bible verse to address anxiety comes from Philippians 4, where Paul writes what we just read here, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. She says, this verse gives Christians a powerful and direct command to cast our worries on God. Though for someone, listen to this, with clinical anxiety, it's not always that easy. Exasperated by directives to just pray, we can barely stop our own thoughts to pray in the first place. Fair enough. She says, I read this passage in times of extreme anxiety. When a turbulent flight has me turned into a puddle of panic, or a television show has tricked me into believing that I have a deadly disease, I deal with my anxiety by believing that someone is there to guard my heart and mind. It's the only way. And she finishes with this statement. I do not understand the fear that I live with, despite medicine and counseling and years of frustration. And I do not always understand God's peace. But, she says, I do trust it. I do trust it. Because what is the better alternative? Faith and worry are extreme competitors for our soul. They're going to fight with each other as long as I know that we will be alive. And Jesus says, there's a seed that falls in the thorns, and it can grow if we get the thorns out. Be willing to keep fighting that battle. And here's one thing to add to your process. In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Present your request to God. Now, Two things, and then I'm going to wrap it up, I promise. And they won't be long, so that's even better news for some of you, all right? Two things. Number one, this is often done best in, uh, in, a, in a place where you have relationships with people whom you know. We've said this can apply to almost every message, but it's difficult to do things well on your own consistently for a long time. You can do things well, you can change, you can grow, for a little bit, by yourself. You can do that, and they'll be fine. But your greatest success, and you know this is true from even different disciplines of life, your greatest success happens when you do things well with other people over time and are challenged and grown that way. That's just generally true. So one of the things we want to keep doing as a church is providing opportunities for us to grow in how we connect to each other as a people. I'm talking broadly speaking. So we are still massaging an idea that I'm looking forward to rolling out, I hope, next week. But we're massaging an idea related to how we're going to spend our um, elective, or 9 o'clock hour, 9 o'clock here we have something called Sunday school. Um, We're we're massaging an idea on how best to spend that period of time that we had set aside for electives. And I'll tell you what's behind it now, and I'll talk more in detail next week. 
behind it is this idea we want to provide a place and be creative with how we can continue to get to know each other across the generations. This is a relational focus, a place to talk and listen, and a place to pray together as people. Those spaces across the generation we generally don't have a lot of time for in our regular system or rhythm of life together. And so we're thinking as an elder team, lead team, about how to be creative about that elective season coming up in just a few weeks to spend some extra time together as a church body with the intent of let's talk, listen, and pray together. Carry one another's burdens. Be the church together. Engage. Hear and care. I want to roll some of that out again in a week, but I want you to know that is the idea behind what we're going to do, hopefully rolling out that out next week. Secondly, okay, that was number one. Number two, I want to give us the chance, even this morning, to pray, to take our request to God, to have a moment in the middle of your schedule, in the middle of your life, to pause, time out, here, we're in church, have a chance to pray. And don't worry, I'm not going to have you stand up to do that or even turn to anyone and do that. I'm just talking quiet time now. So if you're not a Christian, if you're not someone who prays, that's okay. We're not going to put you on the spot. I don't think you'll feel too weird. Just consider it a moment of silence. That's totally fine. Seriously, that's totally fine. We want to give you a moment here all right, uh, to pray to come before God with whatever is on your mind. And if you're thinking, man, I know I got some things, but I know the person next to me has a few other things, that's fine too. You can pray for the anxiety of people you know around you, whatever. But, but don't rush too far past what's on your heart and soul. And So I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up now, if you can. So as the worship team makes their way up here, they're going to play um, in the background just... Um, getting ready for our closing song in a few moments. And, and as they play, um, I invite you to, to just have that time where you can, I'm just going to give it honestly just about a minute or two maybe, um, and then I'm going to wrap us up in prayer when we're done. Following that, then we're going to stand together and sing this final song, and then we're, we're going to be done this morning. But I want to leave here without having a chance to say, man, let's pray. Right? And like, let's, let's do this, right? Like, all right, Paul, if what you're saying is true, let's take it for a run. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God to introduce, even if it's just a one-minute habit, into that cycle, the process of worry. So, as the team begins to play, will you bow your head, at least a moment of silence, let's pray, and I'll wrap it up, I'll draw us out in a minute.
Father, I pray for us as a people gathered here this morning or those who are listening online later who are within the hearing of this message and of your word. I pray that your word uh, will go further than we can imagine, that by your spirit you move in us to stir in us affections that maybe lie dormant, to break up ground of maybe bad habits in reaction to worry that maybe instead of posting on social media right away our anxiety we turn to prayer instead of calling mom we turn to prayer instead of replaying stories in our minds we turn to prayer because we recognize that we serve a God who is near and who is here and who can handle the weight of the worry that is so hard and heavy on us Help us to grow out of any gossip that maybe we default to or grow out of any bitterness that maybe we fall into and help us to move away from those thorns that choke out maturity of faith and grow into faith as it competes with worry. Give us courage to introduce these healthy habits of responding well to you in the times when our hearts beat faster in a panic and our blood flows quicker and the future is less clear. Father, we, we want to grow in our faith. We want to grow in our trust. We want to believe you more than we do. And so help us in this to do that. We need your grace. We need your love. We need your Spirit's help to do this, and we will ask for that and ask you to help us as we try to grow and move forward as a people here together. Thank you, Father, for even songs like we're about to sing, this blessed assurance that comes from knowing you, from knowing that you're in charge, that you're in control, and that we are not. So as we sing this song now, may this be a song that carries our hearts and our souls beyond here. And if we can't even sing, maybe we just listen to the words and allow them to soak in again a reminder that you are a God who provides assurance that you are over all and you see all and you know all. Father, we love you. Help us to grow in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.